when you think about hypocrisy and you think about um, that key word, I know that we've heard it time and time again that this ain't gonna work. Um, hear it time and time again that that's the number one reason why people leave church is hypocrisy. And if we're being real, uh, men are called to lead the church. You know, there, there's no debating that in scripture. And so when you put two and two together, what you realize is that it's the majority of hypocrisy is probably coming from men in the church. And that's why people are leaving. It's because one, either they see hypocrisy in us as men, or uh, they just have a more decisive view on life than we do as hypocritical Christians and they're deciding hey I don't want this life so I'd rather just leave and live my life whenever we kind of get stuck in the church and we're like well I would rather just be lukewarm and do what they do after they've left but stay here and act like I have everything together and so I think it's huge to talk about hypocrisy and what it, what the damage that it can do to our churches um, but also the damage that it can do to our specific personal life in the long run and so that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today and why it's so important to address this topic of hypocrisy because I think so many times, you know, Arda did a great job and talked about just how we are different from the culture, but I think so many times we try to seep into that same culture with our lifestyles and what we do, and the reality is, is that there are certain things that we just cannot do. There are certain things that we should not act on, um, but we want to fit in. You know, I think there's a desire, especially, you know, a guy like me growing up, like I didn't have a dad in my life. Like I grew up, I went to a, a pretty rich high school, but I was in the poor city that was attached to the high school. And so, you know, for me, like to go to a school I didn't fit in with, to have a dad that didn't want me, like all I wanted to do in life was fit in. All I wanted to do was just be like involved. And so I spent a lot of my life just doing things to be accepted by the culture and by the world that I was around because I just, it felt good. And I think that is just a natural tendency of men. Like we want to be wanted. We want to be needed. We want to feel like people need us in life. That's just, I think something that God has put in us as men because we're called to do things that people need and people want. That's, that's leadership, you know? And so, when we're not doing those things and we're choosing to just fit in um, and we don't have the wisdom to discern between what is the world wanting from us and what God is wanting from us, that's when hypocrisy sets in. And so um, you've probably heard about David a lot this week, but that's kind of what we're going to talk about today is, you know, David and Bathsheba. Um, we're going to look at the idea of hypocrisy and a godly man and what's happened in his life and what God um, is essentially one of us to have a solution in on the other end of that. You know, because in 1 Timothy 4, 16, we've heard this, you know, everyone who studied the Bible and across these churches walks through this at some point. But 1 Timothy 4, 16 says, Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. You know, there's a huge call, as Timothy's, you know, a young preacher, and making it known that we have to watch our lives, the way that we live, and our doctrine, what we believe, our, what we teach, and make sure they line up. And so it's so important for us to get this idea that if we are really gonna like achieve the dreams that God has for our life, we have to understand that there are things that God wants us to live out to get to that. And I think so many times men wanna jump through hoops and skip, you know, skip different areas to just get to that dream one day, but God says that it has to line up with a lifestyle. It doesn't just happen. You don't get rich overnight. 
You know, you have to put work in. You have to have a lifestyle that, that achieves that. And I think God has tons of dreams for each and every one of you guys, just like he has for me, that I would have never thought and never imagined of. But yet, there's a process that has to take place in our lives. There's a habit, there's a lifestyle that has to mirror those things if we're ever going to get to those dreams. How many of you guys in here desperately desire to be a father one day because of the impact that you know you can have? How many of you guys desperately desire to be a husband one day because of the impact you can have, right? And you think about those things. Now, now ask this question. How many of you guys do not have a model father in your life or grew up without one? How many of you guys have never seen a stable marriage in, in your upbringing, right? And so it's, it's hard to think that like we would get to those dreams based on the culture that we choose to, to live and look around. You know, I grew up in both of those situations. I didn't have a dad. I didn't have a solid marriage to look at. And so it's kind of weird for me to think that like I could dream of having something like that, but yet I still involve myself in that culture that didn't show that at all. And so there is something so important of looking at our our, our context of where we're at and figuring out what we need to do to get to that level. And so that's what we're going to look at with David and Bathsheba because David was a man who was a godly man, but yet David was a man with flaws. And David has a mishap in life like we all do. And he had a hypocritical stint with Bathsheba. And it's cool because there, there is hope on the front end that a godly man can find God. And then there's hope on the back end because after a guy like David can mess up, he can still have the hope in the future of, you know, what can happen. We know that King Solomon was David's son with Bathsheba after the situation. But there were consequences in the middle. And so our, our job is to learn from the story to cut it quick so that we can continue to have that dream instead of letting it just end and fade and die and us realizing that we're going to wake up one day and we're going to be 40 years old and we're going to have a divorce or we're going to have kids separated from us or we're going to be in the same spot that our culture showed us as we grew up in life. Or we're going to be that religious kid that thought that you know we grew up and we had everything handed to us and we don't really need to work hard to get these same things and then one day we're just going to use that arrogance to realize that our marriage is going to fall and crash or that our kids are not going to respect us because they see something different at home than they do on, on the stage. Um, I actually am starting to preach more at, at Collinsville. Um, I'm on an every other week rotation now, and I never asked for that. I never wanted to do that. But the reality is, is that I'm starting to realize that when I take the stage more to preach, that there's a higher, um, there's higher eyeballs on me throughout the week now. And it challenges me to remember that like, the more influence that I'm given, the more people watch me. And I think that's important for me to realize that it's hard for me to get on a stage and say certain things if I'm not trying to live it out myself. My campus ministry will immediately lose respect for me. My church body will, will stop wanting to follow me, and, they, and people will stop inviting people into it. Like, it's, there's a cycle that goes along with this, and that's why Timothy makes it very clear. Like, you have to watch these things because it's not just going to save you. It's going to save the people that you're going to impact one day. It's going to impact my wife. It's going to impact my kids. And I think we all need to learn from this. And so... We're going to talk about three different areas that we can look at in David's life in this situation with Bathsheba that he had chose to be hypocritical because of where he was at and his way of viewing these things. And the first one is the, his environment. Hypocrisy is huge in your environment. And you see in 2 Samuel 11, verses 1 through 3, it says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, because David was what? A king. David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. 
One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. This woman's very beautiful. You see, David was in the wrong environment. All the kings were out to war. So why, why in the world is King David still at home? On top of that, why is he on a roof? Kings didn't go on roofs back in the day. That's where the concubines went. That's where the servants went. That's where they would dry towels and sheets and, and bedding and clothes. Like that's, That wasn't king's work. So why in the world is everyone else somewhere else, but yet the king stayed back? You know, the environment that he chose to put himself in created hypocrisy. And I think that that's a question we need to ask ourselves is where is your environment? Where, where is your safe place? Like where, where is your home? Who are your bros? Like what, what world are you living in? And I'm not talking about the entire world. I'm talking about if I spent a week with you or a month with you, that is your environment. That's where you choose to spend your time. Your 24 hours a day is your environment and what you do is different than everyone else in this room. So I'm asking you the question, when you think about your environment, is your environment spent wisely? Is your environment with people that fit the traits of a disciple? In 1 Corinthians 10.31, it says, Whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And so when we see hypocrisy in David's life, and we try to relate that to us because he was not in the right place, he was not in the right setting, but because of that, he chooses to find an opportunity to have hypocrisy seep in because of where he placed himself. He wouldn't be seeing no naked ladies on the battlefield, right? He wouldn't be out to war seeing like naked ladies running across the field being like, hey, that's a beautiful chick. You ain't gonna see no beautiful ladies, right? Um, I don't know why it's popped in my head, but I was watching The Longest Yard on the way down here, the one with Adam Sandler. And I remember, I remember whenever uh, Adam Sandler like asked uh, asked Chris Rock, he's like, he's like, hey, I can get you anything, man. Yeah. And, and Adam Sandler goes, what about the love of a beautiful woman? And then Chris Rock responds with, well, you can have to lower your standards on the beautiful part and on the woman part, right? <laughs> because there ain't no women in prison. And I'm telling you right now, in this time and age, there were not women on the battlefield. And so there's something that he would not act upon that if there wasn't that around him. But so many times we fall into hypocrisy because we are not in places we are supposed to be. We spend way too much time at home by ourselves. We spend way too much time on Netflix or, or streaming services. We spend way too much time on video games. We spend way too much time in these environments that we should not be at in the first place. And then what happens? I slipped up. I got lazy. I started to sin. I started watching this thing I probably shouldn't have been watching. You know, whatever it may be, I started spending too much time with this chick, you know, and then things just kind of led one way to another. Like, in these environments that we put ourselves in, they just, they, just, they just breed hypocrisy. Because that's not where God calls to be in the first place. He's called us out of those environments to find healthy environments. But, and this is something I beat the college students over the head with in, our, in my church. Is I say, listen, God has called you out of your environment to be in a different environment so that you can go back to help that environment. You will never help an unhealthy, toxic environment by living in it. You have to pluck yourself out of it to get the help and the resources to go back and help that. And we'll get to that in a minute with what that looks like. But... <clears throat> 
some of these some of these areas we have to really make sure that we understand with environment and so the solution here because every problem i'm going to give you is going to have a solution so the solution with your environment is to change your environments here's the solution if you want to know that if, if your environment breeds hypocrisy change your environments in matthew 4 19 through 20 jesus says come follow me and i will send you out to fish for people what did they do at once they left their nets and followed him. They changed their environment to go somewhere else for a healthier environment, right? And this environment for those disciples at that time, that was a lifestyle. So maybe you need to change the environment of lifestyle. That might be where you need to change. The things that you do throughout the day. You see, for fishermen, that wasn't just their job. That was their lifestyle. That was their livelihood. That dictated who they spent most of their day with. That dictated where they were at most of the day. They had to be on a boat. They had to be out in the water. They had to be with these people. That was their lifestyle. And maybe that's the environment you need to change. What do you do throughout your day? Who are you around? Where are you located? Are you in a house by yourself? Are you hanging out with some guys just all the, all the time in the dorms that you should be hanging out? Like, what is your environment? For the disciples, it was very clear that that was an environment that they were not going to see the best image of God and where they were at. And so they chose to change that environment to go somewhere else. So maybe it's your lifestyle. Well, let's go down a little bit further because of relationships. Maybe you need to change the environment of your relationships. In Matthew 4, 21 and 22, after he calls the first two out of the boat, then we see James and John. It says, Jesus called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him so maybe it's not your lifestyle maybe it's your relationships maybe it's the people that you spend the most time around and the most time with and this is where i'll circle back to when i talk about pulling yourself out of your environment to help that environment this is one of the hardest things for people to understand that come in that are deeply connected and rooted to their families and i and i say this so many times and i hate saying it in the way that i do because people who aren't disciples hate this context but the reality is if you break it down i'm a very logistical guy when it comes to scripture sometimes like it's just it's just math sometimes if you want the product you have to put one and one together it's that simple sometimes but it's hard for people that are are, are deeply connected to one another to understand this but if the reality is you have a biological family then you become baptized and now you have a spiritual family which one's more important? Nobody must answer that question. But let me ask you this way. If one of those families was your environment, which one is going to give you a better chance to get to heaven one day? Which family is going to give you the, the highest chance to have a better relationship with God, to have a more secured marriage one day, to have a more secured parenthood one day? Which one of those families? Now, for some of us, we are fortunate to say both because my family is a disciples. But there's a lot of us that can't say that. I can't say that. I know a lot of you guys can't say that. So it just makes sense for us to understand. And when I say important, I don't say like Artos in, in there. I'm saying like, like him. I'm not saying that one is better than the other. By no means. But which one should be your environment? Which one should you be living in to help the other one? 
See, our biological families can't always help our spiritual families. And they're probably never going to help our spiritual families because we're on a different agenda, you know? But you best believe that the spiritual family could help your biological family one day. They could help get them out of that environment. They could help surround it and support them. There are men and women and older ladies and older men in our church that could help our moms and dads. There are younger ministries, our high schools and junior high and children's ministries that could help those younger kids. We have that accessible at our disposal within God's family. So why do we choose so many times to live in a different environment and expect the results from the other environment? It's just our relationships, guys. And I hate saying it, but sometimes you guys just got spent, you guys spend a little less time in those toxic relationships and get more time with godly men. Even in the campus ministries that we, that we serve in, there are toxic men in our campus ministries that you should not spend all your days with. There are guys in our ministry that I'm like, why do you spend all of your time there? You want to be strong? Find the strong men in your campus ministry and invest in them and make that your environment. Don't find the deadbeats that have the, the, the crap dorm that nobody wants to come into because it's always dirty and everybody's sleeping, everybody's lazy and everybody, like nobody wants to live like that. So why do you want to live in that? Well, I'll tell you why, because I used to do it all the time. There's no accountability there. Ain't nobody going to tell you to wake up. Ain't nobody going to tell you to get, get off the video game. They're probably going to join in with you. You know, like there's not going to be that healthy relationship that's going to change your environment to change your future. So think about the guys you surround yourself with. Now, obviously, as a disciple, we have to make sure that we're not just choosing to, like, leave people. But there's a big difference between living in an environment and being a resource to the people around you. Because I want our college men to grow up. But they don't grow up by saying, screw you guys, I'm growing up. <laughs> they say, hey, I'm growing up, so I'm surrounding myself in a different environment, and I want you to come with me. I want you to learn from what I do. I want to hold you accountable. But you can't hold somebody accountable if you're not changing your own environment because you're not going to gain any respect if you don't have the respect yourself. So maybe it's your relationships. And then lastly in this point, maybe it's the environment of a job. Maybe it's to change the environment of your job in your workplace. In Matthew 9.9, we see another disciple called the tax collector, right? As Jesus went from there, he saw a man in Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed Jesus. Now, here's a tricky one, right? Because it, maybe our environment of where we work and how we work is bringing hypocrisy in. For some of us, we work way too much. God did not call you as a 20-year-old college student to work like a 50-year-old man. <laughs> like, he did not call you guys to work 40 hours a week in your context because you're college students. Like, you guys should be having fun. You guys should be out meeting new people. You guys should be on the college campuses exploring and finding new relationships with people. You don't have the bills that most 40 or 50-year-old men do. So why do we work like them? We're not in that season yet. And I told my men so many times, I'm like, guys, like, experience and have fun while you can. Because as I've gotten older, your time becomes more limited. For some of you older guys in here, you know what it's like. Once you get married... Ain't no more hangouts sleeping over, the, you know, ain't no more crashing at my bro's house playing magic or video games or whatever it is no more. Your wife ain't going to want to want to put out for that. <laughs> like, that's not going to happen. If you get home, like you got You have a wife that you're responsible for now. Right. Yeah, it's, it's you know what I'm saying? Like, and, and then you get kids. Right. 
I mean, you ain't staying up till 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. every single night anymore because your kids got to get up at 7, you know, 6 or 7 in the morning to get ready to go to school. And you got to take them to school, you know? Like, they don't just catch a bus like when you were in high school. Like, you are the bus. You know, like, you got to get them up, make sure that they're ready. You also don't want your kids looking like bums at school every single day. So, you like, you got to get up and get them ready. You know, like, and your time becomes more and more limited. And those, 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 those things, because we all dream about those, right? Maybe some of you guys aren't dreaming for that stuff anymore. You're like, maybe I just want to be single forever, right? <laughs> but like those things cost money, right? A wife costs money, especially mine. Like she's got like this whole little thing now that she's found a, a community of women that are like, let's just suck all the money out of our men and get the coffees and get the hair done and get the nails done. And, uh, and I'm just like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, Chris's wife is a big, if, if my wife didn't know Chris's wife, my wife would be like fine, like eating ramen still and things like that. No, no, no. Sushi is a thing now, you know, and like all these different things that are expenses. Like she has engulfed it, but like then you got kids and like you're like, I want my kids to play sports, like, but they ain't free. Like I want my kids to, to do this. I want my kids to wear things that they're going to get made fun of at school. Like you want things good for your kids. That all costs money. But you guys, college kids, don't have to pay for any of that yet. So why are you working like the men that do? Why are you not on the college campus just meeting people and bringing people to Christ and giving them the same hope because you're in that season right now and you will not be able to do that when you're in your 40s and 50s? You'll have men that you work with that you're going to have to find an opportunity with. You're going to have people that your kids come in with. one. But right now, in your season, you are not called to save up all this money. And I get it. Because I grew up poor. I get it because I understand what it, the value of money is. I grew up in a situation where we didn't have heat all the time. And I literally had to take buckets of water and put them on a stove top to pour in a bathtub so I could have hot water because our heat bill would never get paid. Like I get to never want to be back in that lifestyle. But you don't have, you don't have to sacrifice your time all day to not have to be in that lifestyle. Now, for some of you guys, you're not in school and you need to work more. <laughs> you know, like some of you guys are just bums and you don't have anything to do. While college students are in school from eight to three, you're napping from eight to three until they get out of school and you're like, hey, let's play. You know, like, and you don't have anything to do. You should be working during that time. Like some of you guys need to work more if you're not in school to find opportunities, you know? And so like, this is a tricky one. You gotta figure out your context and where you're at. But the reality is, is that some of you guys should be working more and some of you guys should be working less, but it's that, that's the environment. The toxicity of your environment is huge as well within the job place. If you're working in a job that just pisses you off and it's so toxic and it's so negative, maybe that's not the best place for you to work, even though the pay is good. If you're coming off a job and you're coming off a shift and you're just like walking in with an attitude wherever you go, like maybe you can't handle that job and maybe you need to find a new one. But once again, on the other end, maybe some guys just got to suck it up and <laughs> like, be like, I know how to leave the workplace at the workplace. So now that I'm home, like I can be something different. You know, like it's this, this point is different for everyone. And I'd encourage you guys to talk with people who are more experienced and have more maturity in this area when it comes about the environment of jobs, because they will help guide you in figuring out your resources. They can help walk through a budget with you guys and figure out, hey, this is how much you really should be working or what you really need. For some of you guys, you live with four or five guys in an apartment and your rent's 200 bucks. My rent's like 1200 bucks, you know? But you have five people working for that one income and I'm, I'm by myself. And I'm a minister, I don't, get, I don't make a lot, you know? Like, and so like there's certain things that maybe you just gotta be more, like it's, 
this is an area that so many times we look at our lives and we're like, we need more of this or we need less of this. But if you found the wisdom with people in your life, the environment of a workplace could, could drastically change um, the hypocrisy that can seep in because of what you do in that relationship. It's hard, it's hard to evangelize and meet guys on campus when you're never around. You know, maybe one campus event where we all go on campus and we meet people and you meet somebody and get their number and then they try to connect with you or you, you try to get time with them but like you're never free because you're working all the time. Like, it's not enough just to be at a campus event to meet people if you don't have the lifestyle that's gonna accommodate getting to actually know them. So maybe your environment needs to change, okay? The second point is decisions, right? So we need to change our environment maybe. The second one is maybe our decisions, you know? The way that we make decisions. Second Samuel eleven three, And David sent someone to find out about her. He could have not. First off, he could, he could have not been on the roof, but he decided to go on the roof. Then he sees a beautiful woman. He could have chose to just leave it as is, but 2 Samuel 11, 3 says, but David sent someone to find out about her. Once he found out about her, realizes what? 11, 4. Sent messengers to her. She came to him, and he slept with her. So he finds out that she is Uriah's wife. He could have been like, oh, she's taken. But no, he decides to bring her in. And then he decides to sleep with her. And then 2 Samuel eleven ten. so then he asked Uriah, after all stuff goes down, he's trying to hide it, and he's trying to kill Uriah. He asked Uriah, haven't you just come home from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? He could have confessed to one of his loyal subjects, his soldiers, that he had just slept with. He could have snipped it right there. Time and time and time again, David chose to make decisions that instilled hypocrisy in his life. To the point where he had Uriah killed to cover it up. But there's like eight or ten different situations in 2 Samuel 11 where you can find that there was a choice made by David. And he chose wrong. And the reason I bring this up is because time and time again, like David, he had these choices. So many times we make choices. And then we don't want to take ownership of our choices. We want to blame anything and everything around us because of our environment, because of our product, because of our hypocrisy. And the reality is, is if we are actually going to be true men of God that are very vulnerable and very humble and very real with where we're at in life, we have to own up to what we choose. Now it's fine because we'll learn later in, this, in the story that David actually got a chance to redeem himself. But it wasn't only until he realized that he needed to own up to his decisions and deal with it. And I think so many times we make decisions and we never own up to those decisions. And we choose to live arrogantly or we choose to, to mislead people in the way that we communicate with one another. And the hypocrisy just, we just kind of build and build. And we, and we dig this hole that's deeper and deeper and deeper and it gets harder and harder. Like, do you realize how this progressed? Like. From David choosing to stay home to David having one of his best soldiers murdered. That's where it started. That's where it ended. Can you think about, could you think like that? Like if you chose to just stay home from this trip, like if you weren't here at family vacation and it led one day to you being in prison, like there's lots of little choices that happen there. But that's literally kind of like what happened with David. Like he made one little decision 
of hypocrisy to not be where he should have been. And it led to him killing somebody that was so respected that the man wouldn't even go home to sleep with his wife because he was so loyal to the army and to where he, was, where he belonged. Like, that's crazy. And so many times, like, I'm beating my head on a wall talking to college students being like, you're making wrong choices, you're making wrong decisions, but we don't see that, like, the little things matter. And I remember people did like, like that with me. Like, I used to work at Finish Line when I was in college. And, dude, I don't know what Finish Line is like today, but, like, when I was working at Finish Line, like, we got a 30% discount on everything. Uh, we got 50% off Oakley's. Like, we got literally everything. When Jordans came out on Saturdays, like, we got first dibs. So, like, I would, like, buy, like, Jordans at 30% off on Saturday morning and then go sell them in the parking lot for, like, 30% more than their selling price. Like, I literally used my paycheck to just cash in store credit. <laughs> like, that's literally what I did. And people time and time again were like, dude, can't be spending your whole paycheck back on apparel. You can't be spending your whole paycheck on shoes. Like you got to do other things. I'm like, man, I'm in college. I can eat ramen and wear all this stuff and be fine. You know, like, and I wasn't learning the disciplines. I wasn't learning the the realization that there was a character change and a behavior change that God was trying to get me to understand. And then I ran into rut. Sure enough, that like I didn't have money and I needed money. My car had broke down. You know, I couldn't afford trips. I had to have people spot me all the time for certain things. And I had nobody to blame but myself. But what I wanted to do was justify, say, I need to work more. I just need more money. I need more time. I need A, B, and C. But the reality is, is that I just didn't have the decision-making process that I needed to have to get to where I should have been. If I could go back and, like, sell back everything or not purchase everything that when I did when I worked at Finish Line, dude, like... I could pay off my car. Like, you know, like, there's just random things that I can think out. Like, I wouldn't have college debt. Like, I could have paid off a ton of things. But the reality is, is that I have made decisions, very poor ones, that have just trickled hypocrisy into my life. And it's not just with our money. What about chicks, man? Small decisions. That one text message. It's just a text with a winky face. You know? It's just one picture. It's just one thing. Where does it end? We were hanging out at my house and she gave me a blowjob. We were hanging out at her house and we had sex. Where did it start? Just a text. You know, there are decisions that happen that lead to complete hypocrisy, but we don't want to own up to the decisions in the first place. Until we get to this point where like somebody's dead, you know, whether it be physically or spiritually, and then we want to look back at all that stuff. You don't have to wait till the end of the road of sin to get to that deep spot that you feel like you can't dig yourself out of to throw everything up about your life. It could just be listening to leaders and be like, man, that probably wasn't very wise. Maybe I wouldn't do it maybe like that next time. Or I would, and, and us being like, it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. It was a big deal for David. So what's the solution here? Make biblical decisions. Make biblical decisions. Now, I would say make godly decisions. And if you understand, if you understand scripture right, they're the same thing. Godly decisions, biblical decisions. But I think so many times we rely on our moral compass to think we know what God wants for us. But we really don't. So we need the Bible to help us understand what God wants for us instead of relying on our moral compass. That's huge. You know, because so many times I think we generally have a, a good idea of, like, our moral compass. Like, we know what's right and what's wrong. And a lot of times we make decisions on those things. But the reality is we never have scripture to back it up. 
Like, if I was to say, like, right now, like, don't have sex, guys, until you're married. We all know that, right? But how many of you guys right now, if I called you out and said, where's that in Scripture? Where's that in Scripture? Tell me right now what's the verse. Probably wouldn't know, right? Don't be lazy. I know God isn't going to be lazy. Where's that in Scripture? Tell me the verse. Tell me where it's at. We probably wouldn't know. Like, we know that it's godly, but we don't know where it's at biblically. And I think there are some decisions, though, that we make that aren't godly that we think that they are because we assume it's in Scripture somewhere, but it's really not. And so now we're just making decisions based on our moral compass, not based on the Bible. And that's where we get in trouble. Read through this whole situation in Matthew 4, right? Matthew 4, verses 1 through 10. This is Jesus getting tempted. Jesus was getting tempted by Satan. And he's not giving a moral compass. Ah, this is probably wrong. Ah, I don't want to do this. Listen to how he responds every time. Listen to how he makes his decisions. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. There's the temptation. Jesus' decision, he answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Denied that one. Didn't make that choice. Didn't make the wrong choice there. Why? Not because he felt it was wrong, but because God, he found scripture that revealed that it was wrong. Second one. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you were the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it's written. Now scripture's coming out against him, right? Because it's written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up into their hands so that you will not strike a foot against a stone. So now, now Satan is using scripture to be like, here's scripture utilize this and so sometimes we even misuse scripture right what's Jesus response though and he doesn't say ah, that's not right he didn't say uh i don't you know he says it's also written you know like he comes back with scripture not with feelings or emotions but he says it's also written do not put your lord the god to the test so even though he's heard scripture, he doesn't necessarily misuse it because some of us could be gullible up like, oh yeah, you're right, I'm going to jump off this bridge because God says he can save me. You know, like some of us are gullible enough to do those things and get ourselves in tempting situations because we believe that God will do those things, but we also don't know the whole story of scripture, right? And Jesus utilized that to say, hey, you need to know it all. And then he gets another one, right? And the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in the splinter. And I will give you all of this, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Right? Jesus doesn't say, no, nah, man, I feel like that might be wrong. I feel, not feelings. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You see, we've got to stop relying on our moral compass. We've got to stop relying on what we think is right. If we really want to not be hypocrites, we have to know what scripture says to defend our lifestyle. You have to use scripture just like Jesus does. Now, nah, man, I ain't going to do that because the Bible says this. It says it right here. I honor this verse by my decision that I'm making right here. We've got to make biblical decisions with scripture, not with our moral compass. And then the last one is handling sin. What time am I supposed to be done here? Everybody know? Is it 50? 1150? I think. 
where we're going to go with. i got 10 minutes. Um, handling sin, right? Here's a third one. Handling sin. We know David's story, right? And Uriah ends up dying. He sends Uriah out to get murdered so this situation can resolve itself. And then Uriah dies because he sends his army too close to the walls and he gets shot down. And then, you know, it seems like nobody knows about this plan but David, right? Because then Joab comes back and he's like, oh, Uriah has died. And he's like, it's all right, guys. You'll be encouraged. Like, it's fine. So, like, everyone was hoodwinked because of David's plan, right? 2 Samuel eleven twenty seven says, After the timing of mourning was over, David had brought Bathsheba to his house, and she became his wife and made him a son. But what David had done displeased the Lord. You see, David literally fooled an entire kingdom because of how conniving he was to hide his sin. David was able to literally just hoodwink everybody. And I'm like, man, that takes some skill. You know, that takes some, that takes some time, that takes some planning to figure out how you are going to hide this to make it seem like you don't have any problems in your life. He is a king. And he doesn't want anyone to look at him differently. And he made it look exactly like that. He made him look, actually, he made himself look like a hero because he brought in a fallen a fallen soldier's wife to his kingdom to give her home and shelter. And everybody, you know, I would assume they'd be like, man, what a good king. Like, way to take care of your subjects. Not knowing at all that he actually had his, his, his husband, you know, his, his wife, or her wife killed. Her husband killed. There we there go. You. There we go. I know I was going to get to it eventually. Um, her husband killed so he could hide this pregnancy to make himself look fine. It's crazy to think that that's what that's the extreme he had to go to hide us in. And I know some of you guys in the room. I know a lot of you guys in this room. You're pretty good at lying. You're pretty good at hiding stuff. And I say that because that was me too. <laughs> like I was the best. I felt like like I was telling a lot along the way down here. Like whenever I was a when I was a kid, my mom had this pink bank. Um, she was a bartender, so like when she would like you know give somebody a beer, they're like two twenty five. So like. She, She'd give them like 75 cents back and they'd always tip in quarters. So my mom would always come home with like 15, 20 bucks worth of quarters and throw them in this giant piggy bank in her room. And um, that was our Christmas money for the year. So she'd dip it all out. There's usually like a grand or 1,500 bucks in there at the end of the year. And uh, that's what she used to spend Christmas money on. But you best believe whenever my mom wasn't home, I was in there like shaking this thing, getting as many quarters as I could out to go buy stuff at the store. And there are so many fights that happened in my house as a kid because my mom could tell that it was getting lighter. And like I was like, I don't know, mom. Like, I don't know. I don't go in your room. I don't know what it is. And I heard so many screaming actions my mom, my stepdad over it because she was like, you steal from me. You steal from my family, blah, 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 blah. My, my kids would never do that. And I'm in the other room being like, man, I'm, I'm sure off the hook. You know, like, I ain't going to get in trouble ever. And I never did. I still just say I don't know if my mom knows that story. But that happened for like years in my family, right? Uh, my, my sister, she would have parties when my mom wasn't home, and she would, my mom was a bartender, so we had alcohol in my house all the time. And my sister would drink, and she would share the alcohol with her friends, and we were all, they were all her age. And so my mom started making lines on the bottles to make sure that she knew the things weren't drink, and my sister would just fill them up with water. Like, never got caught. Like, I grew up in an environment where lying was like DNA. And I can catch it very, very quickly, and my college students when they're lying, because I was a great liar. I can call the BS out. Like, I can see it. And so many times, just like David, he spent so much time trying to hide his sin instead of deal with it that it just made it worse. 
But at some point, sometimes we can hide our sins to the point that everyone else is, is fooled just like we are. And a lot of you guys are really good liars. And a lot of you guys are going to kill and destroy your life because you're going to choose to bury and hide your sin instead of deal with it in a, in a godly way. And I, I hope and I pray that none of you guys will have to be in a situation like David where he had to wait for Nathan to come to him and essentially call him out and make their first son die for him to get and understand what was going to happen. See, that was a consequence of his sin. And I pray that you guys will never have to deal with consequences of your sin in a way that you have to serve time, that you have to go through a divorce, that you have to go through these situations in your life that you should never have to experience, but you're going to because you are hiding your sin. I, I pray that never happens. But he had everyone fooled. And we have to live in lives that, you know, here's the solution here, is that you need to confess your sins with transparency. You need to talk about your sins. If it says in Hebrews 4.13, it says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to who, must, who we must give account. If God already knows everything, and everything is not hidden from God. Why do we choose to hide it from his people? Once again, if we're, if, we're, if, we're lo if we're logically looking at scripture, why in the world would we assume that like we can trick disciples and Christians, our brothers and sisters in Christ, to not know our crap and think that we could get away with it with God too? That's the hypocrisy. It's, it's so much easier to realize and understand one day, God already knows this crap, this sin about me, so I ain't fooling nobody. I better use the resources he has given me on earth to help me out of this situation so I'm not doomed. So I don't have to go through those things that David had to go through with the repercussions. So I don't have to deal with eternal repercussions because you can live a whole life and hide all that stuff and then on your deathbed still take it to the grave with you, but you, you, can't take it to, you can't take it to heaven with you. You can take all your dead and sin to the grave and you can hide it and everyone on this earth when you die can look at you and say, that was a loyal man, that was a faithful man, he was such a servant. You can take that to the grave, that sin, but you can't take that to heaven. He's going to stop you at the front gates and be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You fooled everyone down there, but you didn't fool me. I know you. I know what you did. I know what you're a part of. I know your heart. And you chose to hide it from people who were trying to help you and not judge you, but heal you and restore you. We've got to learn to confess with people with transparency. And as men, that's hard. It's so hard to be vulnerable. It's not wired in our DNA to be vulnerable. Actually, it is. But the culture around us tells us that that's not what men are created to do. You see, Scripture tells us that we are meant to be vulnerable and that God is pleased by that and that God wants that in our lives. But the culture tells us not. It tells us not to. James 5.16 Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Sometimes you need people in your life to help you with your sin. You need to bring people in. You need to let them pray for you. You need to let them hold you accountable. You need to let them encourage you. You need to let them pick you up. 
You need men to do that, not college boys, you know, not guys that are sleeping in their dorms or their apartments till two in the afternoon and playing video games. Like those aren't the guys that are going to have powerful and effective prayer because they're in the same slum as you. You've got to find the men that are going to support you and bring you in and heal you and help you and love you and encourage you. And so, guys, like, you know, when we talk about hypocrisy, like I said from the start, like, it starts with the men. If we're ever going to have churches that encourage the lost world to be something different, they're going to walk in and they're going to see men. And they're going to see how you guys interact with your families one day. They're going to see how you guys interact with your wives one day. They're going to see how you interact with your kids one day. But right now, they're going to see how you interact with other college students. And then when you're on campus, they're going to see how you interact with people that you're trying to reach out to. And it's so important for us to understand this concept today that if you really want that dream that God has for your life one day, like we talked about at the beginning, if you really want the dream of being a father one day, of having a family one day, of having these things, and I'm, it may not be a biological family. It, it may be the family guy like that you have an influence on younger generations within the church or you have, you have influences on people like Danny Langford, for example. Danny Langford is, you know, for you guys that know me, like he is my dad. He is my dad. Like biologically, we are not on paper together. But relationally, I'm closer to him than most men are to their fathers. And that is something – Chris Gorse is like that too. I know Chris is in the back. We talk about how his wife has put some temptations in my life with, with spending. You know, But like Chris and I share that same thing with, with Danny. Um, and if anyone was to know Danny, they would know that that is not a hypocritical man. They would know that's a man who loves God, that serves with all his heart does everything he can and even though God did not give him the dream that maybe he envisioned I think if anyone would ask Danny today do you feel like your dream's been fulfilled because you're not married and you don't have kids would you change your life I guarantee you Danny would say that God has given him greater and larger dreams than he could ever imagine because of the people that God has put in his life and that's my encouragement to you guys, is that these dreams that you, maybe you guys want one day, maybe you want the six-figure job or the wife or the kids, that may not be the dream that God has in store for you. But the only way you're going to get to see the dream God has for you is if you live in a way that's not hypocritical. If you do the work, you do the timeline, you do the actions, you will achieve the dream that God has in store, not the dream you have in store. Okay, let's pray. God, um, hypocrisy is such a hard sin because it can be such a secret sin, God. It's something that we don't have to show people. It's something that we don't have to, you know, to, to bring up. It's something that we don't necessarily, people aren't going to necessarily see that in our hearts. And then sometimes, God, there is hypocrisy that we can see just physically in front of people. And God, I, I pray that no matter what kind of hypocrisy it is, we realize like none of it can be hidden from you. You already know all of it. And so, God, I pray that we can start here at this retreat, that we can talk to people that we need to. We can bring people in. We can figure out a way to look at our lifestyles when we go home. We can look to change our environments. We can look to change the culture that we choose to live in. We can choose to change our decisions and look at where our life could be a year from now if we just chose to take things seriously and not live hypocritically, but live in a way that pleases you. And so, God, I thank you for this group of men. 
Um, I love these men. I know most of these men. And God, I know the potential that you have for them. But one thing I don't know, God, is what you have dreamed for them already. But I can only imagine what you can do with their lives because of what you've done in my life. And God, I will always try my best to not live hypocritically because I value and I cherish the dreams that you have fulfilled in me and the dreams that you have given me that I couldn't even fathom myself for. And it all starts with living a genuine life for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.